So the message that I want to share today, the title of this is called The People, A Plan and a Principle of Our Creator. And I'm going to start off by looking right at the beginning of Genesis. And uh, we should have some slides that will go with this. And so uh, this is something that's been on my heart for a while. Uh, some of you have heard me talk a little bit about this before, but I figured this was a good, a good message to bring to everybody. And so we're going to look in Genesis uh, chapters 1 and 2, but then we're going to go beyond that. But this is where I'm going to start. So we start off with the, at, the, at the beginning, Genesis 1 verse 3. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. So we start off with God creating everything, but it says he created light. Now, I got a background in science, and I was always taught through school that the universe began with this thing called the Big Bang. Well, there's, a, there's a, actually a lot of support behind the idea that the universe you know, had this beginning, and it, and it began with this massive explosion uh, which would have been easily described or characterized by an intense amount of light. But we see that God was the one who spoke all of that into existence. Uh, and then right from the moment that he creates everything, whether you like the idea of the Big Bang or not, um, that's immaterial. But right now we want to see that God created it all. And then he immediately starts doing some work. He starts doing some separating and some sorting. It says that he then separated uh, the light from the darkness. One of the things that's interesting is if you go back in the history of science, you don't have to go back too far. And by that, I mean barely uh, over 100 years ago uh, when science really believed that the universe had always existed. The Bible has always de declared that there was a beginning, but science has always said, no, it has existed since the beginning of time. But yet in the last hundred or so years, and then proven actually in the 1960s, we know that the universe actually did have a beginning. And so in some ways, we could say that science is caught up to the fundamental teaching from Scripture that there was a beginning. <coughs> Excuse me, I hope I don't do a lot of coughing while we're, uh, while we're uh, sharing this message. Uh, then then the, the Genesis 1 goes on to talk about uh, more sorting and separating. It says that there was an expanse between the waters which were already there. And then there's more sorting and separating, uh, um, the, the separated the water from the non-water or the dry land. You get down to verse 11, and basically it says that God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. So the earth is what brought forth the vegetation. That's not really any surprise to us. Anyone who's ever tried to grow anything, you know that you put a seed in the ground and the ground brings forth vegetation. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting, again, looking back at, at, at science, and what science has tried to do over the last hundred years is science has tried to play God and said that, you know what, you don't need to you don't need to invoke the idea of God or the concept of God to be able to create everything because we can create everything. Well, it's also said that only God can make a tree and all of the ingredients that God used to make a tree, you could arguably say were were, were created in that first moment where it said God said, let there be light. The world of science will teach us that in that moment, everything that was ever going to be created was created, and then everything formed from that. Well, I think we're going to see that principle start to bear out here in this first chapter and two of, uh, of Genesis. And so it says here that the earth produced vegetation. Nothing really surprising there. But um, science, you know, years and years ago tried to say that 
well, we can we can do this ourselves. And they and they took some basic chemicals and tried to produce tried to produce uh, life from non-life. And one of the flaws in that process is that they didn't start with nothing. They started with chemicals that already existed. And so God is the only one who can make a tree because perhaps the secret of making a tree is in the dirt. And so if, if the scientists were to say to God, you know, we can do what you can do, the moment the science tried to get, get a hold of some of the existing chemicals to do this, God might say, no, no, you get your own chemicals. You get your own dirt. And so we see that God really uh, comes comes to the forefront here when when it when we talk about how everything was created. We can debate long and hard into the night about you know the exact process that He used, but the opening chapters of Genesis do give us some insight that things may be not as different from what science teaches as we might have originally thought. Then if we carry on in the verses eleven and twelve. It's it's if I if I finish that. He says, let the earth sprout vegetation, uh, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. So after God produced or let the, let the earth produce vegetation, then he gave the command for the vegetation to reproduce itself. And that's the process that would make sense to us. That's what we see. And so, again, this all, this all fits our logic. Then in verses 14 to 18, we see more separating and sorting, light from dark, day from night in the seasons. Verse, verse 20 and 21, it starts to get a little more interesting because now suddenly water uh, is teeming with life and the sky uh, has life in it as well. Let me read what it says in, in verses 20 and 21. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. So where did the life come from? Did God suddenly just create it uh, from, from nothing or did he create life from, from lifeless water? Um, I don't know. There's not enough information here. Uh, verse 22, uh, then God blessed them and say, said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So once again, we see this idea that God produces something, he creates something, and then he says, now go and continue to reproduce yourself, telling the, the creatures in the sea and the creatures in the sky to reproduce themselves. Things get really interesting in verses 24 and 25 because now we see where the, where the land is to bring forth creatures and animals. He says in Genesis 1.24, Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. I know that there's this long uh, debate going on between Christians and scientists there's, I don't think there's any debate between Christianity and science. I think the debate is between the people on, on both sides of that. And a lot of Christians are very strongly against the concept of, uh, of evolution, saying there's no way that God used evolution. Well, if you find evolution a hard pill, pill to swallow, then abiogenesis uh, is, is really what we're seeing coming out here in, in Genesis chapter 1. 
abiogenesis is the concept that life comes from lifelessness. And it says here that let the, let the earth bring forth living creatures. And so if I take those words literally, the door is opened up for an interpretation that says God told the earth to produce life. Well, the earth was had lifeless material in it, but God had whatever he needed to have in that lifeless earth to be able to produce life. And so maybe we're, we're starting to see some things that have been in front of us all along that perhaps we didn't really want to see. Well, that continues on, uh, not just to the creatures, but also to man. Verses 26 and 27, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. He, man, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So now we see he creates man and woman. He doesn't tell us how at this point. That's coming up in chapter 2. But what's interesting is God's first command to humans. Uh, verse 28, he says, God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So just like the plants and the animals, the first command to these newly created humans is now go and reproduce yourself and fill the earth. I mean, if you want to look at this kind of in a humorous way, God's first command to human beings is to have sex. Um, have a lot of sex. Fill the earth. Well, we may want to slow down some of that because uh, I think we can all agree that the earth has been replenished. The earth is filled with people. But what we're seeing here is a, is a, is a pattern. And I hope you see that this pattern um, that, that has come out so far, and we're going to see this pattern continues. God has this pattern or this principle. He likes to make things from what he has already made, or he likes to make things that then make other things. So I want you to watch for this. Um, and again, even the man and the woman were made from what God had already made. So in, in chapter 2, verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. Later on in chapter 2 of, uh, of, Genesis, uh, of Genesis, he says, To the Lord caused... Uh, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon a man, the man, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. So I have, a, I have an image here that I, I'm going to put up. Uh, I want you to see this image. It's basically the baby pictures of uh, Adam and Eve. And it's, it's, you know, it's supposed to give you a bit of a chuckle. But the truth remains that even for humans... God made us from what he had already made. It didn't appear like he started fresh. He made Adam from the ground. And the word Adam is actually the, the, the literal meaning of the word ground. In, in, uh, it's a Hebrew word. And the, the Hebrew word for ground is essentially a form of the word Adam. And then for Eve, he didn't just create her from nothing. He, he started with the one he'd already created. And then he took one of his ribs and made uh, the woman from him. And so what we see here is that God really has this fondness for making things from what he has already made. Now, if we look at the technical language uh, in, the original, in the original Hebrew from Genesis 1, we see two kinds of creative words really come to the, come to the forefront. One is bara, and the other is asa. The word bara is essentially to make something, to create something from almost from nothing. And the word asa is to take something that you've already made and then fashion it or mold it into something else. Much the way a, a, a potter would first make the clay and then use the clay to fashion that into other things. And, and that language is actually in Genesis chapter 1. 
So the idea that God makes something and then he continues to make other things or fashion other things from what he's made, that's a, that's a principle that we see. And so the, the title of my message, the people, the plan, the principle, uh, here's the people. That's us, one's creatures who are made in his image. The plan, eternal community with us. And you have to read through the entire scriptures to understand that idea that this is his plan. God himself is is three but one. He's uh, he, he is literally the definition of community. And so he wants community with us and he has created us to have community with him. The principle, this is where I want to spend all my time in this message, is that God likes to make things from what he's already made or he likes to make things that then go on to make other things. This isn't only in Genesis chapters one and two. This carries right through to the New Testament. Look at Jesus himself. God didn't just start fresh and just kind of poof, there's this man named Jesus. He made Jesus from a human mother. He said, here's what I'm starting with, now what can I do? Look at the parables that Jesus told. He made lessons from everyday things. He didn't just come up with some brand new uh, you know, teaching scheme. He said, let me, let me look at the things that people already know. Let's see what we're starting with. And let's, let's make some lessons and some parables and some, some teachings from that. Um, the parable of the talents. That parable uh, teaches us a bunch of things. But one of the things is that we, uh, as humans, created by God to make other things, uh, the lesson there is that we, you know, we should be investing what God is putting into us and making more of what he's already giving us. That's one of the lessons. How about miracles? Um, there's a really interesting uh, a miracle that we see. Uh, we read this uh, you know, early in the book of Mark. Uh, there's a woman who has, uh, has had this issue of bleeding for, you know, for 12 years, and uh, she finally has an opportunity to get, get near Jesus, and she, there's a crowd. There's just a huge crowd, and she really can't get near him, but she pushes through the crowd, and the whole crowd is pushing around Jesus, and she's able to get over up close enough to him just to touch the, 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 the edge of his garment because in her mind she's thinking, if I can just touch you know, his clothes, that'll be enough to heal me. And so she does this. And meanwhile, there's people pressing all around Jesus. And all of a sudden, Jesus realizes that some, something had happened. And he, he said to his disciples, who touched me? And his disciples' response is pretty funny. They're going, who touched you? Are you serious? Who touched you? Everybody touched you. There's a crowd around us. But Jesus knew, no, he, he, there was something different. This was a different kind of touch because the scriptures say that power literally came out of him. <coughs> so he actually turned and, and found, faced the woman, uh, discovered her. And here's what it says. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. He, st he started or she started with uh, with an ailing body and and through Jesus's help she was able to turn that healing uh, that 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 sick body into a healed body just by faith alone so what she needed to, to do was to start with faith and we know from another encounter that Jesus had in his hometown and early in the book of mark that uh, he wasn't able to actually do very many miracles there because there was no faith Jesus likes to see what are we starting with show me what you're starting with and if all you have is faith that's enough that's enough to start with another miracle in uh, mark chapter 6 uh, one of the more fam favorite or famous miracles uh, is the is the feeding of the multitude with the loaves and the fish and so we know that there's you know that there's thousands upon thousands of people 
it says that there were 5,000 men, but if we count women and children, there could have been like, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25,000 people. We don't know. And and the disciples realized that they, you know, these people have been with them all day and they need to, they're probably hungry. They need to go home. Um, so they say, you know, Jesus, you need to send these people home because it's it's time for them to eat. And Jesus says, will you feed them? And they're going, what do you mean we feed them? This will this will this will exhaust all of our uh, you know our little war chest of money here for for the next year, and and G, and they, how can we feed them? And Jesus said, well, show me what you got. In other words, show me what I'm starting with. He doesn't just go poof and feed people. He says, let me see what you got. And so they show what they're starting with. They have some some loaves and they have some fish. Uh, and what Jesus does is he takes he takes those he blesses them. And then he puts them into the hands of the disciples and said, here, now pass this out. And what we see happening is that, that there's a miracle that takes place that feeds all of these people. You see, in the economy of God, the economy of Jesus, one plus one does not always equal two. Sometimes one plus one can equal 20,000. And so it all depends on what we're starting with and what we do with what we're starting with. I really want us to see and understand that this this idea, this principle that God likes to make things from what he's already made, or he likes to make things uh, that, that go on and make other things. This is, this is an overarching principle that goes right through the scriptures. Uh, and certainly we track this right to the end of Jesus's life. Uh, with, his, with his final command after, after the resurrection, Jesus meets with, uh, with his, uh, his, his apostles on the top of a mountain. And here's his final command to them. He's in Matthew 28, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. With his final command, he is telling them, I am authorizing you, deputizing you, to go and now do what I've done and to make more disciples. And so the making of the disciples is like that is like that Hebrew word barah. You know, you're making them, you're making them from scratch. But then I want you to fashion them. That's where the 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 the, the teaching part comes in, right? God loves to make things from what He's already made, and He has made some disciples, and He has fashioned them, and now He's sending them out to go and make more disciples. If you think about it. This command that Jesus has before he ascends to the Father is very, very similar to the very first command that God gives us in Genesis chapter 1, 28, where he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. These, these two commands, be, be fruitful and fill the earth, and then the last command of Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations, they're kind of like wonderful bookends to this experience that mankind has had with God up until the point where Jesus leaves. In the first case, he's saying, I want you to, I want you to make more of yourselves. And back in Genesis, I want you to make more of yourselves because you're going to need a lot more of yourselves to, to be able to actually carry out the task that I'm giving you. And if you recall from, from Genesis chapter 2, the task was for, for Adam to manage the earth, to subdue it, to, uh, to basically be the custodian of everything. Well, that job was actually lost to us. I know a lot, a lot of Christians say that this is, this is what Christians are responsible to do. Well, when we got kicked out of paradise, we, we kind of lost that job. We lost that responsibility. 
But that's okay because Jesus gave us a new job and a new task. And instead of filling the earth with people because the task I've given you is so great, Jesus is saying, I want you to make disciples of all nations. I want you to fill the earth with disciples who can then make other disciples because the task that I'm giving you is so great. And what's the task? To make more of those of us who are no longer under the curse that happened back in the Garden of Eden, but who have been freed from the curse and who are now on a journey with others, which we call the church, to be able to spend eternity with him um, in heaven. So basically taking us back to paradise. So that's what our job is. How will he do that through you? So this is, this is kind of where I want you to personalize this now. How will he do that through you? First of all, let me remind you again of the principle. God loves to make things from what he's already made, and he likes to make things that go on and make other things. And the last message of Jesus and all of the teaching of Paul uh, through the New Testament is telling us the same thing, that our job is to make more of ourselves, not just more people, but more disciples. How, how, how is he doing that through you? How can he do that through you? By you showing him what you're starting with, just like the loaves and the fish. Show God what you're starting with. And if all you have to show is faith, that's enough. That's enough for you to be able to do what you have to do. And I know that some of you might say, because I've used some of these things in the past myself, um, I, I don't know enough. I, I don't have enough skill. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not gifted enough. I don't have the right personality for that. And the, the reasons go on and on. But let me tell you, or in some cases remind you, that the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and the fish took place in the apostles' hands. And Jesus blessed that food, put it in their hands, and as they were passing it out, it multiplied. It all comes down to the blessing of Jesus. Later on in that same chapter, when Jesus uh, performed another miracle where he was, where, where he was uh, calming a storm, walking on water, calming a storm. Um, the disciples didn't really understand that. And what, what Mark actually writes in that, in that chapter, he says, but, but the disciples, the reason they didn't understand the event with the storm, the calming of the storm, was because they also had not understood the lesson behind the miracle of the loaves and the fish. Well, what was that lesson? The lesson is that God likes to make things through those who he has already made. The power comes from Jesus, but the work happens in our hands. If all we have is faith, that's enough. Now, if we can add to that faith some skills, that's great. But all we need to do is start out by putting ourselves into his hand. Just like the loaves and the fish were put into Jesus' hands to bless, put yourself into the hands of Jesus and see if he will bless you. One of my favorite stories uh, in, in, in the entire New Testament is this story about this, uh, about this, this broken, sick, sinning, sinning man and how Jesus took him and turned him into a whole, healthy, forgiving man. How did he do that? Because th this man had a bunch of friends who were determined that they were going to have an audience with Jesus. And they cut a hole in the roof of the house and they lowered their friend right down to the feet of Jesus. My friends, brothers and sisters, church, 
if all we have is faith and if all we have is the ability to fall on our knees at the feet of Jesus, he can do everything possible through us. You can do the unimaginable. You can do the unthinkable. In fact, it's not just something that is possible. It's actually what God expects. God expects us to do the impossible because he expects us to be connected with him in relationship. I want you to think about this very simple message that I've shared this morning. And here's the question I want to ask you. Who or what are you making?